What's up, 830? How you feel? Yeah, you sound good. Um, before we get going today, I know Taylor already said it, but we want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And I read a quote last night, and I just want to share it with you. It's real simple, um, but I thought it was really fitting. It said, to the world, you are a mom, but to us, you are the world. So we want to celebrate all the moms today. So if we can do that, Brick Church, can we celebrate and clap our hands for all the moms? Yeah, we wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, it's 8.30, I know. The 10 o'clock, though, they're going to get rowdy. Um, uh, but... Anyways, hey, so we're still on Back to John series, and if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan. I get to be one of your pastors here, and we don't let anyone know um, who's preaching, and I know you're missing Jared right now, but you still come if you don't know. So that's, that's where we're at. We're going to get rocking and rolling today. Um, we're actually in uh, John chapter 4, and let me give you a little backstory. There's a guy in John chapter 4, and Scripture calls him a nobleman, and we wouldn't really use that communication right now. But what that meant is in his time, uh, this guy, he had a lot of influence. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of clout. He had, he had money. He was a baller. You can just say it like that because that's what he was. He was a nobleman. And this guy living life, he's actually on the king's court. So at that time, um, he just had it all working out for him. Uh, a lot of things that we aspire to maybe have in life, this guy already had. And he's, he's doing big things. And everything's going good for him, and life is going good. Not too many hiccups. You know, family's doing good. 401K's rocking. Got a couple boats. Uh, you know, he's, he's, just, he's just living, he's living life. He's, he's noble. You know what I'm saying? He's a noble man. He's, uh, and he's having a good time. And he comes home from work one day, and uh, this isn't in the book, but I think this is what happened. He came home from work one day, and uh, he gets home, and one of his people that work for him are like, hey, bro. They're like, hey, what's going on? He's like, your son's not doing really well. Like, what do you mean he's not doing really well? Like, well, he kind of has a fever. He said, yeah, fever, all right, throw him some ibuprofen. So they give him a couple ibuprofen, and he goes to work, and the next day they come back, and they're like, Mr. Nobleman, sir. He's like, yeah, what's going on? It's like, your son still isn't doing really well. He's like, still not doing well. He's like, okay, let's go to urgent care. So he takes him to the urgent care. They wait three hours to get in, you know what I'm saying, and it takes forever. And finally they get him in, and they do everything, and they're like, let's run all the tests on him. Let's do COVID tests. Let's do strep tests. Let's do few tests. Say, his finger hurts. No, let's run all the tests on him. It doesn't matter if his finger hurts. We're going to run all of those tests on him. They run all the tests on him. They can't figure anything out. So they're like, okay, it's going to be all right because I'm a man of influence, so let me get on my phone. So he gets on his phone, and he starts calling all the people he knows, and he starts asking, who's the greatest physician in the land? So um, he, he's from a town called Capernaum. So the next day, he takes his son, who still has a fever, to the greatest doctor in Capernaum. And he takes him there, and the doctor looks his son up and down. And he says, you know what? Your son is actually not just have a fever. Your son's dying. And the guy's like, oh, my goodness, he's dying. And so he goes home, and he doesn't know what to do because for the first time in his noble life, his influence didn't do him any good. His money didn't do him any good. His attributes didn't do him any good. All the gain that he had acquired didn't do him any good. And then he's sitting there and he's like, what do I do now? What do I do now? My son is fixing to die. What do I do now? And then he's in town in Capernaum and he's hanging out, grabbing lunch, talking to one of his good friends. And his good friend says, hey, have you ever heard of the man named Jesus? He's like, yeah, I think, I think I've heard of Jesus because I'm on Herod's court and Herod uh, doesn't like Jesus. As a matter of fact, when he was a baby, he was trying to kill him. I, I think I've heard of Jesus. He said, did you know he can do miracles? And he was like, oh, I actually need a miracle. I could, I could use one of those. He's like, what do you mean you could use one of those? You've got everything. Like you've got it all. You know, you got a blue check on your social media stats. You've got it all, bro. Why do you need a miracle? 
He's like, well, my son, we take him to doctors and nothing's working. And he was like, here's what I heard about Jesus. You're in Capernaum, but there's a day's ride to a place called Canaan of Galilee. And if you will just get on your camel <laughs> and he will take off and you will make that guy go 9-0 all the way there, you might be able to get there before Jesus does and you might be able to find Jesus who is this miracle worker. That's where we're at. John chapter four, we'll start at 46, we'll still on the screen. So Jesus came again to Cana Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. This is our nobleman. Having heard that Jesus had come back from Judea to Galilee, he went to meet him and began asking him to come down and heal his son. Of course he did. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Kind of harsh sounding. And the royal official pleaded with him, this nobleman, he's pleading at this point. He says, sir, do come down at once before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed that Jesus, um, the man believed what Jesus said to him and started home. There's a lot to unpack. So let's just, let's just take off and see where we end up right fast. You got this guy and I wanna paint this picture for you, if you will. So I'll pretend like this is Capernaum and this is Cana of Galilee where Jesus is at. And can you imagine the angst, the hurry and the stress feeling like your one answer is going to a town that was about a day's ride away. And it wasn't like you could just text to find out when he was gonna get there. You couldn't follow Jesus on social media to find out when he arrived. You couldn't check the hashtag, where he at. You know what I'm saying? That was dumb. Anyways, but you, you couldn't do those things to find out where Jesus was at. You just couldn't do it. You just had to trust and go. So can you imagine on that day long ride, he's sitting there and he's got his entourage with him and he's trying to make haste. He's trying to make time. And they're asking, hey, can we stop for the restroom? He's like, nope, stay on the camel. We gotta go, we gotta move. And can you feel that anxiety a little bit? Like your son is here and you had to leave your son and you didn't wanna leave your son because he was in a horrible state, but you had to leave him because his only answer was somewhere else and you had to get away from him to go here and he's getting there and can you feel like like the, the energy and the emotion and the conversation that he has with Jesus I mean I know I read it normal but he's like my son is sick he's dying would you come and Jesus is like I know I'm, I'm here I'm not going there and he's just trying to plead with Jesus and he's trying to make it happen I have a friend that I grew up with and I his brother was actually my, my brother's age and this friend's dad, growing up at least, and I'm not for sure exactly how much it was, but at least how I grew up, I felt like he was like the nobleman. Like he had, he had it together, you know what I'm saying? Like he had, a, he, he had it seemed like finances and he had, he had stuff together. Like to be honest with you, and I didn't know that this was even possible, but, but like he sponsored our baseball team's jerseys. And for me at that time, I know it sounds silly, but I was like, who has that much money to buy like 11 or 12 shirts? Like this guy is huge. Like he's got all kinds of influence. And, uh, and I just thought, man, this is crazy. He's got, he's got means and he's got influence. And there was a time where, his son that was my brother's age, he was actually in the military and uh, the truck he was in, like a, a bomb had hit it and it blew up and this guy finds out his son is, I mean, he's not dying, but he's not in good shape. Man, they roughed him up. And he's trying to put everything together to try to get everybody in his family to where his son is at. He's trying to get there as fast as he can. And I heard it said of this man in that moment by someone that was really close to him. He said, this man had the greatest means of anybody that I'd ever met and he still couldn't get there fast enough. He still couldn't get there fast enough. 
That's where our nobleman is at. Come on, guys, look how fast he had to shift gears from everything being exactly what he wanted to do. I mean, he, was, he had goals and he was acing his goals. Like he was dominating, he was doing it all. And then something happened and all of his goals couldn't help him. So he's gotta get to Jesus. He's gotta get to Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do is like this man's faith, it moved him. And sometimes I process like, how much does my faith like really move me? Or how much am I really responding to my faith? This guy didn't even know Jesus. He had just heard that Jesus was a miracle worker and that he packed up and he went a day's ride as fast as he could because his faith moved him to do something. And that's my challenge to you today is, is to look in your life. Is there anywhere that something you believe about God has got you moving? Like, has it got you mobile? I know something's working because you're here right now. Even if you're a guest, God's behind the whole thing and he's got you here. So I know that there is a piece of you that is sensitive to the voice of God and sensitive to the plan of God for your life. And my challenge would be is to stay in a spot to where God can keep you moving. I remember I was in junior high and I told God, like, man, I don't know. I was between 12 and 20, somewhere in there. Because I told God, I was like, listen, I'm gonna do like whatever you want me to do. And, it, and, and I meant well, I, it was a lie, but I, I mean, I meant well, like I, I meant well. And uh, so we get to church, like right after I said this, and uh, the guy was there was on Wednesday night and I was, in, I was in youth group on Wednesday night. And the guy's there and he's like, I got some challenges for you guys. And this is gonna help you take a step in the right direction with your faith. And I was like, this is cool because like I just said to God that I was gonna do something like this. I didn't know for sure what to do, but I was gonna do something like this. And the guy brought up there and he had t-shirts that he handed out to everyone in the youth group. He, he, bought, he bought everyone in the youth group t-shirts. I thought it was pretty cool. He had two of them things, cause that's us. Anyway, so he bought two of those shirts and, uh, and he was like, this shirt, I want you to wear it to school. And I was like, that's fine, super cool. Then I looked at the shirt and the shirt said, I believe, but it didn't say anything else. And then on the back, it said real big letters, I believe. And I was like, okay, so what are we gonna do with this shirt? And he's like, I got a pamphlet for you. And you hold these and you keep these in your back pocket. And when someone asks you what you believe, you grab this card out, right? And you just read the card to them. And that's gonna be what you believe. And I was like, I'm glad I got the card because I would just stumble all over this thing. I would not be ready to do anything. But for me, the wearing the shirt moved me. Like that was the step that was in front of me. Cause I was like, okay, this is a step. This is in front of me, God, I'm gonna do this. Um, so I wear the shirt a couple times to school. Nobody says anything. And I'm like, I'm a failure. It doesn't work. The font's wrong. Something's wrong. Like it's just not getting anybody's attention. I believe something and nobody's asking me anything, but I, I believe something. And then like the third time I wore it or the fifth time, I don't know, but y'all weren't there. But anyways, I wore the shirt. It was faded by the time someone finally asked me a question. And they're like, this voice came behind me. It's like, what do you believe? Like that. And I think that was the voice. And I turned around and in all my prep to read the card, I was in junior high, super awkward, still super awkward now. Um, uh, I haven't graduated. But what I'm saying is, is that I turned around and it was a girl. And I was like, I, what do you, and I grabbed all the cards and I'm trying to open, I dropped them all right in front of her and I turned around and left. And, uh, and it, just, it just got like that. That's, that's just what happened. And if she wanted to know, she could pick them up and read them. And, uh, and, uh, and he, uh, yeah, for sure she could have. Um, but, but I was just trying to let my faith move me. And I fumbled it and I messed it up. And it, she might've been worse after I tried. I'm not for sure. God is good. He'll make up the difference. Man, there's grace for people like me. Um, uh, but that's what, that's what happened. Um, and I used to be like, man, dude, you really, that was, that was so, no, nah, you, you messed that went up. And now... Um, I think a little bit different, not that I couldn't have done better, it couldn't have went better, but, but I took a step, like I took a step. And I think if there's anything we've learned from this nobleman is this, is that sometimes the greatest act of faith we can do 
is when we stop trusting in all the things that we have acquired, all the clout that we have got, all our own wisdom, all of our own knowledge, and then we take some kind of step closer to leaning on Jesus saying, I've got a bunch of shirts that I'm gonna, no, I don't have any shirts that I can give you. Uh, but what I'm saying is there's a step that you can take today that is closer to you leaning on Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with having things. I mean that, like this is not the church that belittles people for God increasing them. And I, I like the grind and I like the hustle and I like having goals and I'm about that life. And I think that if you wanna have those things, go out and get them. I just think that there needs to be two knobs, one the knob of what your things are saying and one the knob of what God is saying. And this knob should always be louder than this knob. And if in order for you to keep your empire going, you've got to turn this knob up because it's requiring so much of your attention. You got to turn this knob down. At that point, I would say that you need to be like this nobleman. Don't wait to a point where Jesus is all you have. Go ahead and switch those knobs up right now. Go and say, oh, nope, I'm going to turn this one down and I'm going to turn this one up. How come? Because you believe something. Yeah, you believe something. This man left his son because he believed something. And the reason that he went to Cana Galilee was in the text, and I'll point it back out. We don't have to put it on the screen. The reason that he thought it was cool to go meet Jesus in Cana of Galilee is not just because it was only a day's ride. It would probably be more convenient if he waited till Jesus came to Capernaum, um, not for his son, but for him. But here's why. Because in the back of John series, what we discussed earlier on is that Jesus had a miracle which was turning water into wine. And that actually happened in Cana of Galilee. That's where it happened at. And this man, you gotta imagine him over here and he's like, man, what, a, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And he says, this Jesus, he's coming to Cana Galilee and boom, lights come on. Because in Cana Galilee, Jesus has done a miracle before. And he wants to hurry and get there because Jesus has done a miracle there before. And in this part of my sermon, the way I envisioned it is that I was gonna get like real emotional and I was really gonna try to sell the point that if he did it once, he can do it Again, And my hope was that somebody would be like, yeah, if he did it once, he can do it again. Like, that's what I was having envisioning that. Like, if somebody, anybody in the room would just be like, yeah, bro, if he did it once, he can do it again. And I would say something like this. I would say, and if he healed your marriage once, he can do it again. Somebody would do that. And then I would be like, and if he touched your body and drove sickness out once, he could do it uh, again. Yeah, yeah. And, and then if he jumped in the middle of your finances and got you out of debt once and you squandered it on Amazon Prime, and ran that bill so high, you thought they did the math wrong. If he healed you of that once, he can do it again. And then I was gonna say something a little heavier and I didn't know how it set, but it still needed said. And I would say, and if he drove impurity out of your heart and he drove it as far as the east is from the west and you were standing upright before him and then all of a sudden you dabbled around and messed with that stuff again, if he drove it out of your heart once, he can do it again. And then, and then even if you're still cussing at your spouse and even if you're not doing it out loud, you know what you're doing. And then if he got that spirit out of your home once, he can do it again. Because that's why he wanted to get the cane of Galilee. Because Jesus did a miracle there once. And we serve a God that the calling card, the cue, the hint, the spiritual blues clues that he can do something a second time is because he did it a first time. And if you need him to do something, and you said, well, he hasn't done to me before. That's super cool because he hadn't done a miracle for this man before either. He just heard he did it there before. You don't need to know that he did it for you once. You just need to know that he did it for somebody wants and I'm gonna tell you get online and tap in won't he do it or something like type something in to find out what God did for somebody else and if he did it for them he will do it for you and you don't have to live on earth very long to find out you need him to do something for you yeah that's how I thought we were gonna say that exactly because if you need him 
He's there. Something so interesting, man. I just want to pull this point out. This really speaks to me. This guy was in Herod's court. And I don't need you to know anything other than this, is that Herod was hunting down Jesus. So now you've got this guy who's in the court of someone that couldn't find God. And in the second he needed God with pure motives, the second he needed God with no agenda, the second he needed God to come through when he wasn't any longer in the way, the second he needed God to show up and be God, and he was going to God just because he was God. I mean, he's in Herod's court. You know the man had to be wondering where Jesus was because Herod was trying to kill him when he was a baby, and this guy had to be a part of the conversation. He was like, man, we got to track this guy down, this Messiah that's coming. We got to get rid of him before he can be born. Now we got to get rid of him before he can get the status. Now we got to get rid of him. And all these ideas of trying to get rid of God that he was indoctrinated with because of the court he was in, and they never ever could do it. He couldn't find him. He may have heard about him, but he couldn't touch him, couldn't get to him. And the second his heart changed and he just had an adjustment, the next thing you know, he was one day's ride away from him. Just one day's ride. That's it. And he got there. Well, what happened? I mean, went to all the doctors, hustled fast as I could to get to Cana Galilee. Water turned to wine here. Something's going to happen, right? And he gets there and he talks to Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold up. He's like, hold up. Can't you hear the anxiety in my voice? Can't you hear the fear in my voice? I'm moved. No holding up, Jesus. Like, we need you to do something right now. And Jesus says, you people. I don't know about you. You're probably more saved than me. But I, I let alone Jesus, if I'm coaching a coach pitch game, and someone on the other team even looks at one of my players a weird way. Like, I just get a little, Ugh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a, like I don't, I, I'm, I remember you, and if I see you, you later, I mean, I'm not going to do nothing to you because I love Jesus, but I'm going to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to feel that for sure. Can you imagine that? Like, I'm, I don't know if you've been that way, but I've, I'm, I'm that way. Like, I feel that. I'm, I'm, I'm petty sometimes, bro. Like, I'm like real petty. And, uh, and you got this guy that it wasn't because he was at a coach pitch game, but he was running to Jesus to try to get his son fixed and son healed. And Jesus was like, you people, don't you think that guy felt a little petty a little? I mean, he was like, whoa, me, me people, what's, what's, what's going on? What, what, what's, what's going on? And then Jesus says, you won't believe unless you see. You won't believe unless you see. And this man's like, Hmm. And we don't get to see how long like that time gap is in that conversation. But from the time Jesus said, you people, you won't believe unless you see, to the time that sunk down in this man's heart, he got to a place in his heart to where he didn't have it all together, but he had enough to believe what God said. To believe what God said. You people need to see something before you will believe it. You need to see it before you'll believe it. And the whole crux of the Christian faith is the ability to believe on a God that you cannot see and to trust in a God that you cannot 
feel sometimes and to trust in a God that you can't hear audibly. Like this whole thing about walking is that we got to deny what we see because we believe something that we say is stronger than what we see. And that's what's gonna carry us through. And what happened was that Jesus said, listen, bud, you're over here and you're thinking that if you just come to the right place, you'll find me. Because that's where he did a miracle before. He's like, and you think if you just came to the right place. And Jesus said, listen, there's something greater than any place. And it is not bound by place. It is not bound by time. It is not bound by lack. It is not bound by sin. It is not bound by inability. It is not bound by inhibition. It is not bound by inner critic. It is not bound by any of those things. It is the presence of God. And if you're taking notes, I want you to do it just like this, that it is presence over place or presence is greater than place. Presence is greater than place. It's always going to be greater than place. Say, what does that even mean? That means this, is that no matter where you are at, if you've got the presence of God, it is superior to any other place you find yourself in life. How am I going to get what I got going on fixed? You're going to believe that the presence of God is superior to what you see. It's presence is greater than place. And you're going to go home and you're going to pray and you're not going to feel anything. You're going to wonder if it's working, but then you're going to remember that you need to do something. And what you're going to believe in that moment is that God, even if I don't feel your presence, that presence is greater than any place that I find myself in in life. Presence is greater than place. His presence is greater than place. See, he thought he was running because a miracle had happened there before, but it wasn't the place. It was the presence that helped. It was the presence. Come on, I mean, he's running. Feel the moment, man. Just trying to get there, trying to get there, trying to get there. And then he has an encounter. It wasn't just what Jesus said. He encountered the presence of Jesus. And the presence of Jesus helped him to turn and head back home with confidence. The presence of Jesus was greater than the place. And if you're in a place that you don't like right now, what I want to encourage you is, is to do whatever it is you can figure out to do to get the presence of God working in that place. Pray, repent. Ask someone for forgiveness. Begin to do the last thing God asks you to do. Worship, study, read, get in healthy community, whatever it is. But when you get the presence in the place, then the place don't bother you near as bad. You know, there's something that I grew up in in church and I still feel it try to like grab a hold of me a lot of times. And it's this idea, and we wouldn't have ever said it this way, but it's this idea that we need to earn the affections of God. And again, we, we wouldn't say it like this. We just, we wouldn't say it like that. Um, but that's kind of the feel, you know, that I've got to do better so that he'll love me more. I got to do better so he'll look at me more. I got to, you know, I got to do better. Matter of fact, when I grew up in church, um, there's nothing wrong with this. And if this is your swag, completely cool. Like, but I wore a suit to church because people taught me that I had to bring my Sunday best to church. So I'll wear a suit, man. I would be fly. I mean, I would be dripping in that thing. I'm a tie would be crooked, but I would be, I mean, I thought I was, don't tell me if I wasn't. I don't want to find out now. I've thought this way for a long time, but I thought that I looked just because that was my Sunday best. I was, it was my Sunday best and nothing wrong. If you want to do that, do it, do you for sure. But I would feel that way, man. And we grew up charismatic. I would sweat through those jackets, man, in the worship service. Those things lasted Days, You know what I'm saying? They felt like they did anyways. And I thought that that was my Sunday best. And I thought I was doing something for Jesus all dressed up. Like he, he cared. Like he cared if it was from Sears or Armani. He didn't care if it was from Sears or Armani. And I'll tell you, mine was from Sears. Um, but that's okay. Um, and he didn't mind all that. I thought that was my Sunday 
best. I really did. I thought that was my Sunday best. And I found out later, um, by the grace of God, that actually you can't earn God's approval. That's just a silly example. I get it. But you're not trying to earn God's approval. This man, can you imagine his angst, his rush to get over there and God transitioned him. He healed his perspective because he thought if he worked hard enough to get to Jesus, then Jesus would do what he wanted him to. And I felt that way before. But I found out since that my Sunday best is not the way I'm dressed, not how Drippy I, drippy I am. It's not how, you know what I'm saying? It's not, you know, what is that word? What did y'all do? Um, it's, not, it's not any of those things, but my Sunday best is that when I come and I am geared up, no matter what I look like, I'm geared up to love my neighbor and fear my God. That's my Sunday best. Love my neighbor and fear my God. And I don't have to earn anything. I don't, I don't have to, there's, there's no I's that need dot or T's that need crossed anymore. Calvary dotted the I's and it crossed the T's that checked the boxes. Grace is where we live right now. Come on, the grace is where we live right now. But sometimes that thing will still creep in me and I'll feel like I need to do stuff to earn the love of God. And I wouldn't say it out loud, but if you looked at my motives, you would find out that it was really, I need to do stuff to earn God's love. And you can even see it in the way we socialize because I feel that kind of drag me over when I'm in certain circles and I'm over there and I want to feel important. I want to feel seen and I want to feel like somebody noticed me. Went to a track meet the other day and I was like, oh my goodness. And I was just looking at everybody and there are cool people, good people there, but I felt the same thing on them that I feel. It's just this idea that I need to be seen. I need to be noticed. I need to do more, try more and be more. And we feel that way in social circles. And then we go to the father in heaven and we're the same way with him. And we're like, God, if I got... Yep, he sees me now. If I just, you know, if I just, come on now, if I just shine this bad boy right there, and if I didn't make, yeah, it's pleated, it looks good, everything's in the line. I'm really, yep, look at that. Oh my goodness. Yep, everything looks really good. I'm really nice, and God sees me now. And we do that way with people, and we'll carry over, and we do that same way with God. And God had to heal that perspective in that man before he could ever heal it in his son. Something had to be adjusted. And what God wants you to know is your Sunday best, or in other words, the things you try to do to try harder to earn his love don't get you anywhere. You just need to learn to rest and trust. I don't care if I go and nobody sees me. If a soul doesn't see me, the one who saved my souls, never taking his eyes off me. Never taking his eyes off me. There's a scripture um, uh, in Zechariah. We'll put it on the screen. This is a portion of the scripture, and then I'll give some background. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So I grew up thinking about the scripture that God was like, not by my might, talking about him, himself, not by my power, talking about him, himself, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I was really confused about it, to be honest with you. And obviously, someone would read it and be like, why did you think that? I was like, I don't know why I thought that. That's what I thought. And I'd be like, God, if it's, what's the difference in your might and your power and your spirit? It got me confused because everywhere else I read about your spirit, it's got power and it's got might. Your Holy Spirit, he's got power and he's got might. So how are you doing it by your spirit, but not by your might and not by your power? And it jumbled up in my head and I would hear people say it all the time. And I'd just be like, I don't even know what they're saying. I just, yes, Lord, you know, just whatever you want to do. Just do what you want to do, God. I have no idea what that means. Um, and it's not hard to understand. Got my head in a circle or something. I don't know. I pretzeled up. Um, and then I read the story of Zechariah. And it's about a man named Zerubbabel. That's the best I can do with that name. That is what his name is. And actually, the scripture's talking about something different. It's talking to Zerubbabel because he's trying to rebuild God's temple. He's trying to rebuild God's temple. 
and he's getting tired and he's running out of energy and he's looking to God to say, how am I gonna get this thing done? And he's working harder to get God's approval and he's trying harder and he's sleeping less and he's doing more and he's just hoping that God would show up and God hits the brakes on him. And he says, Zerubbabel, he said, not by your might, son, not by your power, son, but by my spirit is how I'm gonna get this thing done. As a Christ follower, your life on earth is the shortest thing you're ever gonna do. And that's hard to digest and I get that. But compared to eternity, this is the shortest thing we're ever gonna do. And I'm for going out and getting it. I really am, I'm about that. But what I'm trying to get to you today is, is that you do not need to earn the Father's love. You're like, I would never think that, but look at what you're doing. Have, have we allowed culture to creep over into our approach of Jesus? There's a sweet spot to where you recognize that, yeah, you, 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 what you do is believe. It's a, it's a sweet spot. That's where you live. You live in this sweet spot. You know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever been tubing on a boat? Anybody? I have. I think it's a blast. Like, I, I love it. You ever been there? Last time I was driving and my father-in-law was behind me, man, I sent him, bro. Like, I just sent him around. He went, bloom, 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 bloom. It was a great time. He's in here right now. Like, it was awesome. Man, I sent him spinning. I really did. Um, uh, but, yeah, yeah. I've been on one of those tubes. And you're got behind him. Like, you know, you got that, my terminology, I'm not like a boating guy. I just like, there's, a, there's a, like a wake, and it's like in the shape of a V, and you're kind of in the middle. It's kind of... Anybody been there, it's kind of rough and your legs pop up and you hit the tube and they go fast enough and they get you over the V or the wake or whatever it is. And you're sitting right there and you're kind of in the sweet spot. You're like gliding. Anybody ever been there? I don't know. Maybe this is my experience. Maybe if you haven't tube, go tube. You know what I'm saying? Vet your driver. Make sure you hadn't had a couple too many before you jump on the back of that tube. But get on that tube and you're in the sweet spot and you're holding on and you're just kind of gliding, you know? And have you ever been gliding and then the driver turns and they're slacking the rope? You're not in a sweet spot anymore. You might think you are, you know what I'm saying? You might, you might feel good, but eventually the slack's gonna get pulled out of that bad boy and it's gonna, it's gonna jerk you, okay? And I tell you this, there's two ditches. One is I've gotta try, try, try and let life just beat the snot out of me so I can prove that I'm faithful to Jesus. The other one is I'd rather do nothing. God, tie my shoes. God, fix my hair. God, I need to do nothing. You are such a good God. You'll just take care of me. And you're over here. And the problem with this lifestyle is eventually the slack's gonna get jerked out of that rope and you're gonna feel it in a way that you didn't see coming. It's gonna catch you off guard and you're gonna be wondering, where is God? Well, God's where he always was. He's right here in this sweet spot. And you, the sweet spot has got a name and you see it in uh, Zechariah because when God told Zerubbabel, Zeru, Zeru Red Bull, it was his name. That's a, Zeru Red Bull, boy, had no wings. Um, but anyway, Zeru Red Bull, there he was, and he was calling out to God, and the sweet spot is what Zeru Red Bull said to God after he told him, not by night, not by power, not by power, but by spirit. Zeru said this, he said, okay, God, if it's not by my might, it's not by my power, then I want two things, same name, two things, same name. I want grace, and I want more grace. I want heaven's help, and some. I want all that heaven has and a little bit more. I want all your grace. And if you could double down, I mean, come on. He asked for a double scoop of grace, uh, you know, on a waffle cone. That's what he wanted right there. He said, God, would you give me that? In that spot is right there on that tube. When you've made it out of this ditch, you're trying to earn God's love, but you hadn't got so far over to where you felt like you didn't have to do anything as a Christian anyways. Like you're right in the middle to where I'm still loving my neighbor. I'm still fearing God. I'm still holding on, but I'm in a sweet spot and it's called grace. And that's where God wants 
wants you and he's got to heal you of this works mentality, of this try harder mentality, of this, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to get mine and then God, you'll get a second. He's going to get all that out of you because there'll come a time when all that doesn't do you any good. But he also wants to heal you of this idea over here to where I'm just going to chill and I'll do nothing. Love, love. Jesus is all love. What would Jesus do? He'll love everybody. He would love everybody. But in order for you to love everybody, you've got to be in grace. You've got to be right there in grace. It's a sweet spot. It's nice. John 4, it goes on to say, we'll put it on the screen. John 4 is 51, same story. And he was already going down the road. His servants met him and reported that his son was living and was healthy. Praise God. So we asked him at what time he began to get better. They said, yesterday during the seventh hour at 1 p.m., the fever left him. Then the father, the nobleman, realized that it was at the very hour when Jesus had said to him, your son lives. And he, is in, he and his entire household believed and confidently trusted in him as savior. This is the second sign of testing the miracle that Jesus performed in Cana after he had come from Judah to Galilee, revealing that he is the Messiah. At the same hour, here's what I want you to know about Jesus, real good at stuff like this. He starts answering and fixing things when we yield them to him. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, he, he's, he's, he's like that. And you're like, well, how come I don't have all your answers and I don't think God's gonna surrender his sovereignty to answer your questions? Although he's not, he, your questions are fine, but I just don't believe he's gonna do that. But here's what I do know, is that he's like a same hour God. Now the man didn't know or see his son healed in that moment. And that's the time we live in. Like that's the middle. That's the faith wrestle that we have is that we live in the middle from the time that we ask God to do something, he declares that it's done. And then we actually get to see the evidence of what he said is true. That's, that's, that's where we live. It's like, it's like that. If you believe in heaven, it's like that. If Sometimes if you believe in healing, it's like that. If you believe in God's provision, it's like that. Like there's a gap and that's where we live. And God's put grace in that gap for us to live there. But here's what I want you to know is that that man at the same hour, man, the same hour. He didn't get to see it till later, but God showed up in the same hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the place wasn't that important. He thought it was, but it wasn't because the presence was greater than the place. The presence was greater than the place. Okay, I get, so cool. Yeah, so Monday morning's not as bad at a job that I don't like right now because I'm in the middle. I've asked God either to use me here or promote me. And I know that he's working some things out, but now I'm gonna trust the presence at this job that I'm at. Okay, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's been a fight fest after 5 p.m. at the home, five, seven nights a week. But here's what we're gonna do. In the middle, of still feeling like we're, I'm gonna ask God's presence just to invade this place and for him to help. And I'm gonna trust that it's doing that. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, I am gonna trust and I'm gonna believe that that is who God is. He's that good. And here's what I want you to know is that you may not ever be able to clock it back like this man could, but at the same hour, you believe God started working. I mean, he started working. He started moving. He did. I found myself in a state kind of like this nobleman, my guy. I was out of state and I was hunting. And uh, I was on a hunting trip and we were kind of headed back. I don't know. I think we were chasing turkeys or something. I don't know. We were, we were having a good time. Yeah. And I'm headed back and I get a phone call from, uh, from my mother-in-law. I was like, no big deal answer it and then have you ever answered a call and you felt what was on the other side before you even heard volume 
Like I was like, ooh, I came right through the line. What's going on? She's like, I need you to rush to the hospital right now. Rowan, who's my, who's my youngest boy, it's like, he's, he's having a seizure. They, they, they diagnosed him as epileptic. He's, he's, he's having a seizure. And I'm like, he's, he's what? She's like, meet us there. I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm out of state. Like, what do you mean meet us there? Like, I'm, I'm out of state. And not only was I out of state, like I was in construction. Like I was in traffic and I was, I, I couldn't I'm, meet us there. What, what, what do you mean? And she's like, well, we're gonna take him to Tulsa. So I'm getting there and, I'm, and I get off the phone and I'm texting my wife on occasion to find out how he's doing. Um, because when your, your boy stops breathing, he goes blue and you can't get it. I mean, it's just different, man. I don't want to any parent. And um, uh, so anyways, and I'm feeling all the angst of that moment and I'm feeling all of this stuff. And I'm like, what are we gonna do? And I feel like I just can't do anything. I can't do nothing, man. I can't drive fast enough. I can't run over enough cars. I can't go over this construction barrier. I can't get it out of the I mean, I need a helicopter to come pick my truck up and take me to St. Francis. I can't do enough. I can't get there fast enough. I need to be with my boy. I need to put my hands on him. I need to pull him in. Daddy loves you. I need to pray over him. I need to pray in the spirit. I need to pray in faith. I need any kind of prayer. I need to do whatever prayer I can come up with. Like, I just want, I'm going to try the whole toolbox of prayers. Like, I need to get this boy well. I'm going to deep dig, dig deep, and I'm going to try to get this boy well. But I couldn't do anything, man. I felt it as a dad. I felt so helpless. And I'm sitting in this truck and then something happens in this truck. Something happened. Like, what happened? I felt the presence of God just come into that crew cab. And I was like, ooh. And the anxiety starts going. You know what I'm saying? In the rush. I still wanted to get there. Like, obviously, I still wanted to get there. And it's peace comes in and peace comes in and although it was a long ways away there was a presence that was greater than the place there was a presence that was greater than where I was at and that's my prayer for you that you would recognize that in Jesus his presence is greater than any place you are at right now and all he's asking for is that what you got right now can you believe with that, can you trust him with the mess that you're in? And today with everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I just wanna pray for you. Father, I pray for anyone who would feel stuck in a place. Yeah, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a situation, or that right now in that stuck feeling that your presence, that sweet Holy Spirit, the presence, yeah, that to the overcoming presence, the helping presence, that presence that is more than enough that they would even begin to feel it right now. It'd give them courage. It'd give them strength. It'd give them bravery. It'd give them faith. It'd give them that will that they need to press on and to believe you for more. And Lord, right now, I ask you would solidify in every one of our hearts this confidence that you are working the second we ask you to, that you are working the second we pray. And Lord, even though we don't see it right now, we are trusting and standing in faith that you are doing big things and that your presence is greater than any place. And today with everyone's head still bowed, would everyone leave without giving a group of people an opportunity? We're talking about the grace and the goodness of God and how it's a sweet spot in life. It doesn't make your troubles go away. It just makes them seem smaller. It, it gives you the ability to overcome them. It gives you help. Yeah, it's that help, it's that, it's that presence that comes in. And you want that and you've never had that. And the first step to getting that 
what we believe right here is for you to commit your life to Jesus, for you to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And at the brick, we've got a way that we do it. And here's how it goes, is in just a moment, if that's you and God is dealing with your heart, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment, if that's you and you wanna make it the Lord of your life, for you to lift your hand up and meet me eye to eye in just a moment. And then after you lift your hand up and meet me eye to eye, people are gonna clap and they're gonna celebrate the decision that you are making because we mean that around here is that we recognize that we're all just one step away from God's grace and he came and gave it to us anyways. And then after we do that, we're gonna say a prayer and we're all gonna say that prayer together. We're gonna say that prayer out loud. And if you're one of the ones that raise your hands, you're gonna say that prayer from your heart. So right now in this moment, if that's you and you wanna see Jesus as the Lord of your life, we just lift that hand up, put it, meet me eye to eye, and then put it right back down. Just lift your hand up, meet me eye to eye, and put it right down. Yeah, I see this little hand right here up front. I see this little hand right here up front. A few more moments, anyone else? Now's your time. Okay, Brick Church, let's do what we do best. Let's come alongside in community and in faith. And I'm gonna say this prayer and let's all repeat it together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I've missed the mark. I know that I've made mistakes. But today, come into my life. Make me brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use my life to reach others. In Jesus' name.